Hey, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Daily Objective, the show where we uh, try to talk about, well, a variety of things. Sometimes it's news. Sometimes it's just life topics that we all need to deal with. And we try to bring a bit of a more philosophical take on things, hopefully as sort of a stepping stone for you watching to investigate further, to read Ayn Rand, to read objectivist literature, and continue your journey without us. Today, we're going to be talking about what I like to refer to as a derivative issue, Kamala Harris. Now, objectivism says nothing about Kamala Harris. I'm not sure if she was born when, object, when Atlas Shrugged was finished, but, uh, but objectivism can offer us the tools, can offer us a flashlight to illuminate the issue and understand what we are looking at. So I'm going to introduce a man who, um, Objectivism has a lot to say about. Now, this man is actually, he's actually one of the philosophers referred to in John Galt's speech. If you read closely, it was he who said A is A. Of course, I am joking. Nikos Sotarikopoulos. Definitely, though, a tribal affiliation with those, with the one who says A is A. Only five minutes drive from my home. So today we're talking about Kamala Harris. And it's the first time that the VP choice, at least in my lifetime or for as long as I follow politics, has such a significance. Now, this is not a very pleasant issue. It has to do with uh, the rumors or the reality about uh, Joe Biden's health. But also he has, in a way, said, you know, he done, probably he does himself as having two uh, presidencies if he wins. So, OK, let's not hide. Many people think that Kam there's a chance that Kamala Harris, so whoever he would pick, would have a chance of being the next president, which is more or less always the case with, uh, with, uh, with the vice president. Now, why is the topic important? Because it's also the first time that before we had the name, we knew some characteristics of that person. And I don't mean their politics. I don't mean their philosophy, I don't mean their voting records, I mean their identity. So it was a common secret, not even a secret, I think oh, it was open that Biden would pick a woman. And specifically since we had the, all the racial tensions of the last two months, it was obvious that it would be a black woman or a person of color. Again, I don't know, I'm, I'm getting confused with the affiliations and the, what's the proper way to call them. So. Uh, yeah, don't uh, let's not focus too much time on that. And now that's I think is a problem. First of all, it's unfair in a way for her. So I know people will expect a fierce criticism of Kamala Harris, but let me say, I wouldn't feel good if I was in her place, because basically it wasn't like we have all this pool of people of virtue, and of all these people, I pick Kamala Harris. It's, 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 a, it's a very specific pool. If you say, I want someone who is a woman and who is a person of, uh, of, uh, of color. So it's, it's literally something like six, 7% of the population. So that's the first problem that it's, you cannot feel the pride that I want this because of my political career or of my persuasion. And the second thing is it's also unfair for the country. Why, since when? Is it that to get the job that we have this kind of affirmative action almost thing? Like we need to tick these boxes. And again, it might be it might be unfair even for for Harris herself. So that's the first thing that I think 
uh, requires our, our commentary that the things that we would see in a university or in a work business, we now see it at the most central stage. And let me say one more thing. I understand that it's, it is indeed, let's say, something significant where a black person becomes president because it signifies that someone who started from a background that was seen with suspicion or whatever back in the day rose to this, to this place. Now, this is something which is important because it shows also how far America has gone. But now we don't have this case. We don't have, oh, here is a person of color that rose to this position. Now we have almost explicitly the claim that this person rose to that position because she is a woman and a person of color. So my issue, again, with identity politics, except from everything else, is that it's dehumanizing for, the, for you, the individual. So you might have had the most important moment in your professional life, but still there's this asterisk that you achieved it because of that. And I, I find this unfair to everyone and even kind of dehumanizing in terms of it takes away your agents. Well, I think uh, the asterisk beneath the asterisk would say that it's really her uh, philosophical position. Obviously, she's not a, a philosopher or an intellectual, but what she represents um, as far as being a Democrat, being on the left, is why she was chosen. So obviously, if someone on the right with, with this in, who is in the same demographic, a black woman or whatever she is, mixed people on the left would not celebrate it the same way and Biden would not choose her. So yeah. ultimately, it, people are rallying around what they believe philosophically. And that's, so that's one point. Another is like, I think somebody could answer your, your point and say, well, it's, it's breaking barriers to see someone of a certain demographic who's never been president or vice president to rise to that position. So all things being equal, like if Kamala and an equally qualified white woman or white man are on uh, Biden's menu to select from, then the fact that he went with the black woman is cause for celebration. You know, that's not a hill I need to die on. I don't need to say, no, no, individualism means blinding yourself and, and just selecting based, just by looking at your clipboard and selecting who scores the highest. Fine, you wanna celebrate it, it doesn't bother me. I mean, look, if, if Kamala Harris, if someone of her exact uh, gender and race happened to agree with you and I philosophically and was running for vice president, we might feel, yes, it's amazing to see our philosophy um, on the ballot, like what we believe, but also the fact that she's uh, breaking that stigma that a, a woman, that a woman and a, a black woman or a mixed woman is representing what we believe in such a prominent place is going to, it, it says something good about the culture. So let me take a little bit more of a nuanced take. I, I, I think when it comes to affirmative action and uh, identity politics, uh, of course, individualism is ultimately what we want, but not all identity politics uh, instances are exactly the same. And in some cases we can, um, we can sort of see where people are coming from. And like I said, at the start of this, it's ultimately philosophy that, that drives people. So the fact that they're um, excited about Kamala, it's because she, she's a Democrat and because she leans left. It's not because ultimately of her demographic, obviously Candace Owens uh, infuriates people on the left although she is 
you know, probably a higher percentage black than Kamala. Yeah, let me, I'll, I'll push you back a bit on this. So first of all, I don't think people were so excited with Kamala Harris because if they were, they would have given her more votes on the primaries, which she didn't even, you know, she didn't even compete at the end. But again, here we don't have the case that I had some people and I chose that person. We had almost the explicit, and I mean, for anyone who was an insider, according to the reports, it was explicit that I'm going to go for someone who is a woman and a person of color. And that's why the pool was like three people. And some people say, well, of these three people, Kamala Harris was, was the better. That's why I said, and it's again, I'm not doing my usual anti-identity politics run. I'm saying it's unfair for the person who won first and for all, first and foremost. But now I, I want to, to- Let me, to, sorry, let me, yeah, can I add in? Yeah, sure. I think, I mean, yeah, I think I sort of skipped over the part. I mean, the fact that Biden, I think he said it during a debate, he just said, or at some point in some dramatic moment, he said, in fact, I am going to promise I'm going to select a woman of color. And that became like front page news. It is ridiculous. Let's be clear. I mean, this is, I mean, this is an absolute um, uh, musical comedy that we are watching in politics today. This, this would embarrass past generations. And you could say, well, they were all racist back then. I'm just saying no self-respecting candidate wants to be chosen just because of their demographic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is this is what we're we, what we saw with Biden selecting her was ridiculous and and grotesque. Um, I sort of skipped past that to kind of pick it apart a little bit deeper. But yes, back to you. So should we go now? Shall we attack conservatives or shall we keep a bit criticizing the Democrats? Well, let, let's keep criticizing a bit the Democrats and then we'll, we'll, we'll flip the script. So Alpha, I really I found really enjoyable how suddenly law and order, which is supposedly what Kamala Harris represents, is the game in town if you are a progressive. Because till some days ago, it was defund the police. And it was basically, if you, if you say anything about the police, you, you are almost risking to be, not canceled, but definitely you're, you're not one of the, of the cool kids. So now we have someone who, in her career, no matter what, so she says, I try to work for criminal justice reform. But her, uh, her record in California does not say that. There was a very good reason article last year who says that she was almost out of her way strict in the interpretation of some laws that you and I would consider completely immoral because they are laws that punish what, what people call non, like victimless crimes. So we mentioned it the other day, and I will mention it again because I think it's so important. You cannot be an advocate for racial justice or social justice. I mean, the way well-meaning people understand it, although it's an anti-concept, or individual rights or anything, and not be on the barricades against the war in drugs, and not be on the barricades unless stupid regulations that make well-meaning people have to do, quote, illegal work to, to, to make ends meet. So here we have someone who is not on that side, or if she is on that side, this is a sudden epiphany and that's not what we've seen all these years. And suddenly the flipped script, the, 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 the script flipped like that. And we saw the same thing with Hillary in 2016. Suddenly Hillary was like a neoliberal or whatever the Bernie people were, or people on the left were telling her, suddenly she was the best person who has ever walked this planet. And I found this very, very weird because I wonder, 
two things could be happening. A, the elites, or however you want to call it, thinks that they talk to people who are completely brainless, or the tribal affiliation is so important that anything goes. Oh yeah, three days ago, we we're like defund the police. Oh, but now the person against the orange man bad is someone who is like a representative of, of the criminal justice system or whatever, therefore yay for her. Like whichever of these things think is happening, it's really, it's sad. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there, Sean King famously, uh, this is going around, uh, he, he, he said like she's the worst a couple years ago. Sean King is that seemingly white man who, who uh, got a certain haircut and began calling himself black. Um, he, he said it a couple of years ago that Kamala Harris is just the worst and that she and Biden are the two very worst <laughs> in terms of locking up innocent black men. And, and yesterday or a couple of days ago, he announced, he said that she is the most progressive person ever to run for VP. Um, people have a short memory in, in electoral politics. No question about that. I mean, it, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, it's like nobody's held accountable for anything. Not, not the pundits, not the uh, voters. I mean, just nobody seems to acknowledge the past. I mean, someone could say something during the primary, right? They're all tearing each other apart during the, during the primary debates and stuff. And during the primary campaigns, you would think these two people hate each other's guts. And then one of them becomes the nominee. And then they're all endorsing that person. I mean, just look at Trump on the right. Everyone on the, uh, every Republican did all they could to keep him from becoming the nominee. But then once he was the nominee, almost all of them endorsed Trump. And, uh, you know, even Ted Cruz ended up coming around and, now he's even pushing Trump more in the anti-capitalist direction, I would argue, with his big tech uh, BS. But that's another topic. Uh, I mean, look at look at Obama. Like he was this exciting new uh, he was like supposed to be the solution to all of America's racial tension, the, the way people were celebrating his nomination and then his election to the presidency. And today, people on the left and a lot of Democrats refer to Obama as just this establishment Democrat, just the basically a conservative in Democrat clothing. I mean, people have a short memory in politics, either that or they or maybe they would say, they would argue back and say, well, no, the window has shifted like the, the goalpost has moved because we're moving in the direction that we want to move, they might argue. So that would be an honest way for people to uh, to answer that criticism. But, yeah, you, you would never guess that yesterday really happened. You would think it was all just a dream until the very moment when you observe politics, which uh, reminds everybody, really, really stop yourself when you start to get worked up and passionate about politics. Take a deep breath and just look backwards, even just a couple of weeks, let alone a couple of years. What you were saying back then, what a lot of people, what was trending on Twitter back then, you would never guess that we're living in the same reality as the folks from a, a short while ago. And the last thing, uh, by the way, I know a good YouTube channel who did a one hour plus breakdown of Ted Cruz. You can tell us later which YouTube channel that is. And it's not the Anne Rand Center UK for once. For so, once. For, so there's another thing that I think it shows also how lazy, intellectually lazy, the conservatives are. So the new, the new script is that Kamala Harris is a radical leftist. And again, like for anyone who knows anything about the left, this is this makes zero sense. And I will explain very quickly because we haven't got much time why this makes zero sense. But first, let me say why the Democrats, sorry, why the conservatives do that. I think they do it because 
they have zero or very little intellectual ammunition against the left. So if you ask them, okay, what is your truly, your true philosophical difference from the left? Or what is the economic system that you support as opposed to supposed socialist? And what is the morality based on which you base these supports? You realize they have nothing there. That's why they found, they found two refuges. They find refuge to two things. The one is the culture wars, because it's easier to, to, to fight about, I don't know, the bake the cake or the abortion discussion. Again, these are very important issues, but even there, they don't go to, to the root. Rather than to talk about principles. So that's the one thing. And the other thing is the boogeyman that there's this kind of Marxists kind of attacking the country. Now, again, not every bad person, not everyone that you don't like is a Marxist or a radical leftist. They are right-wingers. And they are left-wingers. Not everyone you don't like is a, quote, neoliberal, I wish they were, or alt-right. Luckily, they're not. So I, I want to point out this intellectual laziness of calling her like radical leftist. And what are the three things that they say is a radical leftist? The one is that she wants heavy taxation. So basically, conservatives are saying our taxes are OK. So if, if your taxes is up to, let's say, 20 percent, you're pro-capitalist. But after 22.7 percent, you're a leftist. And above 30 percent, you're a radical leftist. That's as far as kind of their understanding of principle goes. Their second thing is fracking. Now, luckily, the American conservatives are pro-fracking. But come to this country and find conservatives who are against plastic straws and who are against, uh, against uh, fracking. And the third thing that makes you a radical leftist is the issue of abortion. I'm not going to go there, but the idea that being pro-choice uh, pro makes you a radical leftist is ridiculous. So that's, that's why I think that they are intellectually lazy, because they can't be anything else. Absolutely. I was just thinking about um, how when Biden first entered politics, I guess it was probably the 70s, he was probably, I imagine, seen as kind of a hippie, kind of a new school lefty, and maybe even he was even radical. I mean, I don't, I don't know much about what was going on in politics back then, but I imagine he was kind of a radical. Like, I imagine he was this college-educated, anti-Vietnam leftist. And of course, today he is seen as the ultimate establishment Democrat. So you're, I think you're right about the uh, like anti-intellectuality of the whole environment that, 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 that plays a big role. But also it is just the, that window shifting, that, that goalpost moving um, that makes like yesterday's radicals seem like moderates by today's standards. But absolutely, again, there is an anti-intellectual environment um, so when, when Republicans say capitalism now, they, they really just mean like Republican. They don't even mean trade. I, I, I drove by a pro-Trump, uh, rally at, in Beverly Hills the other day, believe it or not. It was quite a small rally. Might've grown later in the day. I don't know. But, um, yeah, they're all holding MAGA signs and American flags. And one of them is holding a sign that says the world wants capitalism. And I'm thinking... <laughs> You've got an odd bedfellow in Trump, sir, especially that the world, the, the word world is on there, not just capitalism, but world, the world wants capitalism. That almost sounds like global trade. What are you, what are you, a globalist? I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> so people, they just use words now. So um, the people on the right, they throw around words like uh, socialist as though Trump has no proximity to 
you know, being anti-capitalist or socialist or uh, big government and, and all of that. And people on the on the left, you know, yeah, obviously they call people fascists, they call people Nazis, they call people, um, you know, racist, of course, and racist just be, is synonymous with Republican a lot of the time when people use it or just racist just means and alt-right is used often to mean just not part of the left. But of course, those words do have meaning, uh, which makes it even more difficult to untangle because there is a troubling growing presence of racism on the right and um, and of course, sort of quasi-communism on the left that's ever growing and concerning. And it becomes increasingly difficult to deal with all of this when, uh, when, when nobody is even using terms that they mean anymore. So as always, the solution to all of this, I will tell you at the 11th hour before we finish the episode is to emphasize the positive, to emphasize the correct answer. Capitalism, rational egoism, reason, primacy of existence, if you really want to go the extra mile, study objectivism, understand why it is not any of the options you're seeing uh, out there in the culture for the most part, and uh, emphasize what's true rather than trying to pick apart what's wrong out there. That's like, that's like, a, it's like a game of whack-a-mole. I don't know if you Greeks know that game, knocking, knocking the beavers that pop up. <laughs> rather than trying to do that all day, emphasize the correct answer, emphasize objectivism and start by studying it. Well, the equivalent game in Greece is Hercules chopping the heads of the snake that pops to head. So, yeah. you know, that's how we roll when we're when we're kids. But yeah, definitely I want to echo this and for a goodbye to say people, if you want to understand these supposed wars between the right and the left nowadays, go and read. I don't remember what's the modern title, but the new left, the anti-industrial revolution or the return of the primitive based on where you get the previous edition or the new edition. Like this, this will, okay, it was written like decades ago. It sheds light so much to the identitarianism, the tribalism and the, and the non-principled nature of today's politics that uh, it will give you all you need. Our time is up though which reminds me of this great line, uh, Mr. Thompson is not gonna speak tonight, his time is up. So Mr. Nikos and Mr. Ta Raka, their time is up, but hopefully they're gonna be back for more in the future episodes. Bye everyone.